This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The final eight of the Champions League is upon us, and uh, football is coming back to Canada. It is a kick in the grass. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair here with you at Dan Riccio 650 on Twitter. He is at SN Jeff Blair. Our DMs are always open. You can send us a question, and we'll answer it on the show each and every Monday when they do get released. Always subscribe. And if you can, leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. We do very much so appreciate it. Jeff, how are you? I am doing very well. Doing very well. Getting ready for Champions League. We got the Island game starting up. Uh, and of course, because of the because of the time we're in, the what the Prem is just forty eight hours away, I think, isn't it? <laughs> it feels that way. Um, you know, like I'm already seeing uh, you know, the Scottish League is back and uh, the, I was watching Belgian league matches uh, on yes. uh, on Dazen this weekend. So Our it's friends just at the zone have got Belgian <laughs> Belgian football. That is outstanding. Uh, we could have used it last year when Jonathan David was still there, but uh, we'll get to that. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. a record Canadian transfer potentially uh, being complete over the next uh, few hours, few days, um, but it looks like it is happening. Coming up on the show today, we'll preview the Champions League Final Eight with the great Peter Drury, and we will learn more about the Island Games. The Canadian Premier League Commissioner, David Klanekin, uh will join us. But the biggest news of the weekend, Jeff, Juventus losing in the Champions <laughs> League to Lyon. Well, they, they beat Lyon in leg two, uh, 2-1, two uh, but, um, but they lose on away goals. So Lyon is off to the final eight where they will meet Manchester City. Uh, what happened after that, 24 hours later, they sack Maurizio Sarri uh, after the completion of his first season, despite winning the Serie A title, a uh, exit in the last 16 of the, champion, 16 of the Champions League was not good enough. And there was speculation, Maurizio Pochettino, all these different things. But out of nowhere, 10 days ago, Juventus hired Andrea Pirlo to be the manager of their under-23 squad. They said, okay, you're, you're ready for the promotion. <laughs> here, here you go. Here's the first team, Andrea. Uh, I guess the question is, Jeff, uh, do you think Il Maestro can pull the strings uh, from the touchline just as well as he did on the field? Well, first of all, I will say this, that we all need more Andrea Pirlo in our life. <laughs> so it's it's never a bad thing to have the, the world – the world's coolest human being yeah. back, uh, you know, within, within, within eyesight. So that's, that's good. You know, my original thought was, okay, this is a step down from Maurizio Pochettino. I think we all, I think everybody agrees is along with Max Allegri, the, the, the two coaches out there right now, you'd probably want to, you'd want to hit your wagon to, but you know, the more I think about it, Danny, the more it makes a certain amount of sense. In as much the same way as Xabi going to Barcelona would have made sense. And that is until you, and I mean this with all due respect to Cristiano Ronaldo, which I know is going to drive you around the bend, but (laughs) until you don't have Cristiano Ronaldo, or if you're Barcelona, until you don't have Lionel Messi, I don't know if you can bring in somebody who views your team as a quote unquote project, because let's face it, whoever 
came into Juve this year was going to have to work with Cristiano. Whoever was going to come in at Barcelona, I mean, there was talk about Xavi at one time, is going to have to work with Lionel Messi. So I think for that reason, Pirlo makes sense. I generally don't like the idea of bringing a club legend in to run your team and try to recapture past glories, et cetera, et cetera. Although Frank Lampard would probably tell me I'm wrong. But in this case, I like the announcement just because I would trust him to be able to make things work with Ronaldo a little more than Pochettino coming in and saying, okay, now I'm going to start this grand project. You can't start the project as long as Cristiano was there. So for me, it makes sense. It's uh, it's tough, you know. As as a Juventus fan, I, I obviously have a great affinity for Andrea Pirlo, as any uh, Italian would would probably have. And most I think football any lovers. true soccer, yeah, most yeah. most true football fans do. I don't know. He, he, he I mean, throw away his. Second- they throw he away his MLS career, favorite. yeah. Well, yeah, but you can say that about anybody. But he was basically everybody's second favorite player at one point. Either yeah. you loved him, he was your favorite player, or he was your second favorite player if someone else was yours. He's, I, I mean, he was magic on the field, man. Like, the way that he slowed the game down, the, the passes he could play, um, the way he shielded the ball uh, at, at times, uh, just every. There was so much about Pirlo that that was to love, and his his demeanor, his mentality. Uh, he was uh, the the most interesting man on planet Earth for a time there, sure. uh, towards the end of his career as well. But uh, he's he's raw, like he hasn't coached anywhere, not even uh, a, a youth team. He hasn't had a, a first team in in Serie B or Serie C or something like that. You look everywhere. You know, Lampard had a, was at Derby. Mm, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, was somewhere else um, before he went to Manchester United. You have uh, Zidane, who you know everybody is looking for their Zidane now. It seems like, and Andrea Agnelli, uh, when when he made this appointment, made that direct correlation. Um, but, you know, he was coaching the Real Madrid B team and he was Carlo Ancelotti's uh, assistant manager for a while as well. So, like, there's experience there. There is nothing with Pirlo right now. And there's some other things that complicate this because Juventus, they're aged and mm-hmm. they've got some, some things that they need to do with this squad to move the old guard out. Andrea Pirlo is going to be the guy to do that? Yeah, but, but Danny, He's got, maybe... Maybe now is not the time. Maybe now is not the time to move the old guard out because of the economic environment. And right. you know, and look, essentially, what he is going to do. This is what's going to happen. Juve fans are going to worry. They're going to win the title again next year. Maybe it'll be close, you know, but they're still going to win it. And he is going to be judged by what he gets out of the team in the Champions League. And and again, I just think at this point in time. He he has as much of a chance of getting this team far into the Champions League as Pochettino does. Now, you talk about, you know, working with the academy and, and bringing in some new guys. I just, I don't think now is the time to do that. I think in a lot of ways, Danny, when you sit back and think about this and get over the fact that you still have Cristiano, which is the thing that completely clouds your view of your team, <laughs> you get over that fact, you'll see that I think this is, a smart move even though it seems like an easy move and and i think our default position as sports commentators is always that the easiest move 
is generally not always the best move. I think in this case it is. I have more faith in you in 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 him than you do. I I I just think he's he's also in a spot that it's going to be very difficult to succeed. You know, I. I think part of this decision is is financially motivated. You know, they miss mm-hmm. out on the final eights, and so um, there's less Champions League money than was probably expected. And you know, I, I know, I know, you laugh every time I, I chirp Cristiano Ronaldo, um, and and he was great. You know, he was like the only player that was doing anything against Lyon, but. A lot of that is because the rest of the squad has been so poorly put together, especially outside of Ronaldo and Dybala. You have a lot of players on huge wages that this team has just been unable to move. You look at the midfield, and yes, okay, they bought Matthias Delight, Delict, and and that was a, a good move, and he's going to be a great defender for for many many years. But outside of that, you look at the midfields, and you know we're talking about Pirlo, one of the great greatest midfielders we've ever seen. Since he left, since he and Pogba left this Juventus side. Like it's been a disaster, you know. Aaron Ramsey came on a free. It, uh, Rabio came on a free. Emre Chan came on a free. You have Sammy Kadira who came on a free. Blaise Matuidi is is finally moving on. It looks like he's coming. He's he's headed to MLS now. But you know they they've just neglected this midfield, and part of it is directly linked to Cristiano Ronaldo, the fee that they paid for him, the huge wages they pay him. It's looked like and felt like it's affected their ability to build the squad around him. So while his individual accomplishments have been fantastic, uh, there's no doubt to me that you know the, the squad isn't what it was before Ronaldo showed up, and it's directly linked to him because of you know the money he is being paid. I think you need more faith, my friend. More faith. <laughs> more uh, faith. Uh, all right. Um, it's and, and I think we look back at, at Ronaldo and his three Champions League titles with Real Madrid. Uh, let's let's not forget, Jeff, that he had Luka Modric in his prime, Tony Cruz in his prime, and Casemiro just entering his prime. Maybe one of the greatest uh, midfielders midfields we've seen put together over the last twenty years uh, that helped Real Madrid to those those three consecutive titles as well. That's that's where Juventus is falling short. If if they give Pirlo uh, some some you know support in those areas of the field, then uh, maybe this will turn out all right. Um, let's move ahead to Jonathan David, who is having a medical with Lille today ahead of his thirty million Euro transfer from Ghent in Belgium, twenty three goals, ten assists incredible year and that's going to make him the most expensive Canadian transfer of all time nearly doubling the fee that was paid by Bayern to Vancouver for Alfonso Davies he'll also be a record transfer out of the Belgian league Lille though we heard Leeds we heard Manchester United we heard Arsenal we heard Red Bull Leipzig do you like the choice that uh, David has made going to Lille in Liga? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, selfishly, I would prefer having him in a league where we could see him every Saturday. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I would prefer to have him in, in, in the Prem or in the Bundesliga. But realistically, from looking at it from the point of view of his development as a player and perhaps most importantly, his development as someone who can help carry the Canadian men's program forward 
to the World Cup. I think this is probably uh, the perfect place for him. Now, I'm a little concerned, a little concerned that uh, that that Lille was hit with FFP, uh, with an FFP violation by UEFA. That is probably going to cut in. I think it's going it, 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 to cost them a fair amount of money this year. I believe it's going to cost them $9 million. Uh, this year for money they make uh, in their European competition. So that might have an impact on, 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 on the type of players that they, they put around Jonathan David. But look, by and large, this is, this is an organization. This is a club with a history of developing young players. It's a club with a history of knowing what to do with young, gifted, athletic players. And if you're Jonathan David, Danny, you you have stepped up in league. Maybe not the giant step you would have taken in the Bundesliga or certainly the Prem, but you are going to face better competition. So for him, probably a pretty shrewd move. I think it's a five-year deal. Look, there's no way he's going to spend all five years there. We know that. I'm sure Lil knows that. I'm sure his agent knows that. But on balance, yeah, I'm 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 okay with this. I think it's it's a prudent move for a player who just seems to be scratching the surface. It's, uh, you know, it is smart to take steps, slow steps, uh, rather than try to, to make that one huge step and then end up on a bench and maybe disappearing for a little while. That's mm-hmm. always the concern when you are a young player. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a step up uh, going to Liga, obviously, from, from the Belgian League. Um, I would have liked to see him on a Champions League squad. That's why I was really intrigued by um, Red Bull Leipzig uh, as, as a potential landing spot for him. But I think this is, you know, a well-crafted idea from David. Mm-hmm. Understanding what clubs are developing players well and what clubs are helping players onto that next bigger step in their career. And especially from a forward perspective, you look at Lille, um, Victor Ozyman has just transferred for 70 million euros uh, to Napoli from Lille. Uh, Before that, you had Nicolas Pepe, uh, of course, now with Arsenal. That was an 88 million euro move. So uh, they've kind of got a little bit of a track record here in growing players and grooming players for that next step. I'm, I'm not even... I wouldn't be that surprised if next summer we're talking about David making that next move if he hits the ground running here in Liga. So that's it for Jonathan David uh, looking ahead to his move in Liga, and I think all of Canada will be uh, watching a little bit more of the French League uh, coming up this season uh, should Jonathan David have as much success as he has had in Belgium. But let's now look at the Champions League. Two French sides still competing in the Champions League after uh, Lyon was uh, gifted a spot into the Final Eight by that referee against Juventus uh, on Friday, um, which was maybe the worst penalty call I had ever seen, Jeff. I didn't even get to rant about that, but we'll we'll move on. (laughs) What is video assistant referee even for if it's not going to fix that? Anyways, uh, I'll stop. Uh, PSG is still alive as well, um, but the Final Eight is what we're excited about. Alfonso Davies uh, will definitely uh, be at the front of Canadians' minds. And really, I think, uh, as we've talked about so often, Jeff, before we get to our next guest, Peter Drury, this is this is Bayern's trophy to lose right now, even though they've got a, a date with Barcelona set for this week. 
Yeah, I mean, they're almost the exact opposite to Barcelona in terms of what we've seen after the, you know, after after the restart in their league. They just have such an advantage here, Danny. They, they, they played their season through to the end. They played well. Um, they've had time to heal. They've, they've had time. The players, I believe, were in Portugal for a bit or Spain. They've had time to get away, to reset mentally, come back and get sort of built up again. I think they're probably the closest of any team in this competition to being maximally prepared. And as we saw from Hansi Flick, I mean, he just, he, he knows, he knows what buttons to push with this team. They are, I think without question far and away right now, the team best equipped to win this, to win this thing. Let's bring in our next guest. Uh, you'll be hearing him call a lot of these matches in the final eight of the Champions League. Peter Drury now joining us here on a kick in the grass. Thanks for this, Peter. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Really good to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to have you. Good to have you with us. Uh, tell me how, how how have the last uh, few months been for you? Interesting. Um, it's a kind of feast and famine situation, really. Um, for for two or three months, like just about everybody in the world, my life stopped, um, which wasn't an entirely bad thing, truthfully. I know a lot of people suffered and, and of course, feel great, great sympathy. But I was fortunate. I, I had my health and I had my family around me and I had two or three quiet months of reading books and riding my bicycle and that sort of thing and going for runs and long walks in the countryside. And then football came crashing back in and uh, it's been pretty well seamless since then charging around the country um commentating on the Premier League and and now the Champions League. Peter in general, what have you made of the quality of football that we've seen um since, you know, since the leagues across Europe have started to come out of the the pandemic? Has anything surprised you? Anything stood out? Uh, well, I, I I haven't been surprised because to be honest, I had no kind of presuppositions. It, it was so unprecedented all of this that none of us quite knew what we would get. Um, so it wasn't surprising, I think, when in the Premier League, for instance, um, the first couple of weeks felt slightly off it. Um, it wasn't sharp. It wasn't rehearsed. It was football being played by very good footballers who hadn't played a lot of football <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. for, for, a, for a little while. And um, it took just a little bit of time to, to get up steam. Um, it was also, of course, made more difficult because these are top level sports people who are energized by a crowd and that crowd wasn't there. And so they they had to learn a new sort of modus operandi. And they did. Um, and certainly by the end, the Premier League, um, I thought, really was up to speed. And, and although Liverpool had long since won it, we knew that all the way through lockdown, really. There were um, exciting issues to the very end and there were very exciting matches to the very end. And the, the Champions League, which has just got up and running again now, I think um, sort of hit its straps straight away and uh, has produced some great drama already. Well, we know how it, it may affect the players to, to play in a match with, with no fans. Um, how is it to call a match in a, in a large stadium uh, without the energy of, of the crowd to, to work with? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a really, um, well, it has been a really interesting one for all of us in broadcasting, actually, because, again, we've had to learn a, a new set of circumstances, a different, slightly different way of doing it. Um, 
Because if, if you sort of go back to the very beginning of commentating, the reason commentators raise their voice is because they're riding on the crowd. You know, they're, they're surfing the wave of noise. And when that wave of noise isn't there to be surfed on, is it ridiculous for a commentator to shout when you could hear him perfectly well if he was whispering? Um, you know, you, you're not quite sure what's preposterous. But in the end, I think we all came to the same conclusion, and that is that for whatever reason there's an expectation to remain animated, excited, and, um, you know, in the big moments, relatively noisy. I, I tell you, the, the strange thing, actually, is that um, certainly to start with, I was worried that the players could hear me, you know, and that that's an odd thing. Not that I'm a, a sort of critical commentator, because I'm not. I don't, I, I'm old-fashioned. I believe it's not my job to have an opinion. It's just my job to articulate the game. But, um I did a game on one of the relatively small Premier League grounds and a penalty was given and I paused for a second just to let it breathe as we do and I heard, I could hear out loud one or two other commentators and I was thinking, wow, if I can hear them, the guy who's about to take the penalty is going to hear me when I talk again and um, that, that, must, that must be an oddity, you know, you're, you're echoing around these great stadia. Peter, uh, let's shift focus a little bit to to the Champions League. Um, zero in on that a bit. Uh, you know, look, we've got. I was going through the final matchup. You've got teams that have, you know, won championships, played well, had a couple of weeks off. You've got teams that, you know, finished second, have got a couple of weeks off. You've got teams that are just had a couple of days off. You got teams from France that have played what two matches in five months or something like that. Um, just how accurate a measure do you think the Champions League is going to be this year when it comes to determining who is the best football team in Europe? Yeah, it's a really good question, that. And of course, it's a it's a, an unalterable question because it boils down to some extent to to opinion. You're right. It's a it's a fascinatingly open um, and therefore unpredictable competition out of which several of its likeliest winners have already dropped, you know. We lost this week, Real Madrid and Juventus and Chelsea. Liverpool were already out of it. Um, and those are, are some of the likeliest. And, and probably the two strongest teams play each other. So one of them has to go, uh, Barcelona and Bayern Munich, or at least two of the strongest. I think Manchester City supporters would be upset to hear me say that. But, yeah, there are so many variables um, that it's, it's impossible to have anything like a, a really educated punt I mean, even the unlikeliest teams, sort of Atalanta from Italy, who are in the Champions League for the very first time, they're a fantastic wild card. You know, they score lots of goals in their domestic football. Um, they're a, a thrilling team to watch. And on, especially given that it's now one-off ties, you know, it's not two legs anymore. They could beat anyone on their day. Uh, and so, listen, we're in different times. We are in different times. The be this is the best that UEFA could do to get their competition finished. I think it's a very plausible, very credible way of getting the competition finished. Uh, but you can't pretend it's the same as it has been any other year. So opportunity knocks perhaps for a left field team, Atalanta, Leipzig, uh, maybe even Lyon from France, who, as you say, have played very little football recently, but just about squeaked through at the expense of Juventus. And, you know, if you can knock out Juventus, you can knock out anybody. Um, I, you, you know, throw them up in the air and, and see what comes down. 
Manchester City, um, th- this tournament has not, uh, th- as much success as they've had over the last decade, this tournament has not been where their success has been made. Um, this this feels like uh, a major opportunity for Pep Guardiola and Manchester City here. Oh, without question. I, and, and of course, this is the one that he, well, he has cracked it before, but in these colours he hasn't. Uh, and Manchester City, the club, absolutely want to crack. And, and we know, of course, They've had a very fractious relationship with UEFA, not just because they haven't yet won the Champions League, but for all sorts of off-field reasons as well. Um, they have let slip their title here in England. They're no longer the Premier League champions. Uh, and so it would mean a great deal to them as an entity to win this. And and because so many of the other big hitters have gone, here is a great opportunity for them. They're in what you would call the heavyweight side of the draw, you know, if they beat Lyon, which I would make them favourites to do, then they will face Barcelona or Bayern Munich in the semi-final. And, and of course, that will be a Pep Guardiola game, however it falls. Um, mm-hmm. Having um, the great Catalan excelled at both Barcelona and Bayern in his uh, relatively recent past. So we're, we're lining up a very delicious uh, semi-final there if Lyon do give way to Manchester City. And if City can get through that, then I would fancy them to be any of the other teams in the other half of the draw. So, uh, yeah, of course, a great, great chance for City this. And, you know, th- that is the ultimate pot of gold for them at the end of the rainbow. That That is what they crave more than anything else. Do you get the sense that of all the teams that are left, Bayern is probably the best positioned here? It's because they have what they've won 26 they have 26 wins in their past 27 games. I mean, they seized control of the Bundesliga. They, they've got a deep squad. I don't know if they've had a squad this this deep in some time. And they just seem to have an Hansi Flick, a, a guy who's, you know, he's rejuvenated Thomas Muller. He's you know, sort of let Alfonso Davies run free. It just seems that as if they're the complete unit right now as you as you go to Lisbon. Yeah, I mean, your man, Alfonso Davies, what, what an athlete that guy is. I mean... How exciting is that? Uh, and and uh, uh, but but what a team they are! And yes, I agree. I I th- I mean, some people are saying Manchester City are favourites. Um, I'm saying Bayern Munich um, because I do expect them to beat Barcelona. You know that is the heavyweight tie, um, and their squad is so formidable. They are so full of goals. Um, they are almost bottomless in terms of their talent pool. Um, and Barcelona, actually, I think are quite fragile, quite vulnerable. Uh, I, I worked on their game the other day against Napoli when they put out a very strong first 11. But their actual depth of squad is frighteningly thin. You know, their their list of substitutes was was like, a you know, a, a school checklist, a kindergarten. It was a list of teenagers, you know, very few of what you would call household names on their bench. So I think Bayern have the, have the depth to win that. And then... A great, you know, the, the semi-final between Manchester City and Bayern Munich feels to me as though it, it's effectively the final. And I, I can feel followers of Paris Saint-Germain and Atletico Madrid jumping on me now and, and screaming blue murder. And maybe they will have a case as well. But yeah, I agree with you. I think I think Bayern are the best place of all of them. Um, Lionel Messi was again brilliant uh, for for Barcelona in that match against against Napoli, especially that second goal that he scored. Um, but you know, with with Cristiano Ronaldo losing um, Barcelona, as you mentioned, they they have felt fragile for a while now, and we saw that as they uh, crumbled down the stretch of the La Liga race. 
but are, are, are we almost seeing the end of an era uh, on, on Lionel Messi and, and Cristiano Ronaldo um, dominating the Champions League as they had for so many years? Well, <laughs> I, I understand the question, and it's a perfectly valid one uh, in terms of the clubs for whom they're playing, because they both... Um, to a certain extent, struggled in recent times. I mean, you know, Juventus are the champions of Italy and they did beat Leon the other night, actually. And of course, Ronaldo yeah. scored two goals. Um, you know, I'm I'm very nervous about being the one or one of the ones who said <laughs> that's it for Ronaldo and or Messi. Because let's face it, each of those individuals was the star man for his club this week. Um, they continue to excel I think Barcelona, the team, certainly needs a huge refresh. Um, but I can't see why they would refresh without Messi. I mean, he can continue to be, at least for a year or two, I would think, the um, inspiration for a new team. A new team can, can build itself around him. And Ronaldo, despite his advancing years, you know, remains an extraordinary athlete. And, and his dedication to his craft is remarkable, you know, for, for one who has won so much and achieved so much individually, he gives his life to the sport. And he trains every day like he, he was a 16-year-old trying to get into the first team for the first time. And he doesn't touch a drop of beer, you know. Uh, you know, he, he, he behaves immaculately. And, and just, you know, looking at him, you sort of feel as though he could go on forever. Uh, which of course he can't, but I I think he can go on right towards the back end of his thirties. I really do. Um, and and watching Messi do what he does, you know, he he can keep changing games. So I'm not going to write those two individuals off yet, but I would say that both of their clubs um, probably have um, a fairly urgent summer ahead in terms of squad refreshment. You know, Peter, one of the reasons I find Man City so intriguing other than the fact that i'm you know i'm manchester united and i believe you one keeps keeps close tabs on the ones arch rivals a lot but <laughs> I, I look at what has happened after the restart i look at sort of the early signs from the champions league and i see gabriel jesus playing very well i see phil foden continuing sort of this 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 emergence and i'm just wondering this is a team that I think a lot of people expect to make some pretty bold moves in the transfer window. They're certainly motivated. They will have money, all that like good stuff. But has the emergence of these two players maybe changed Man City's thinking in the offseason? And if they continue to play well in these next in these next couple of matches, that really seems to present Pep and Man City with just an enviable list of options. Like I, well, you know, Phil Foden. I don't know what Phil Foden is right now, except he's really good. Yeah. Well, that, do you know what you you're only saying what we all say here in England? We're we're very excited about Phil Foden um, as a, as an England international, regardless of our club partisanship. And yeah, he he feels like the guy who's going to step into David Silva's boots. And David Silva has a pretty special pair of boots, so that is um, that is quite a compliment to him. And that, it, in the end, forgive me for saying something so facile. In the end, doesn't matter who the coach is or or what the club is. You are actually only allowed to field eleven players at one time. And the the thing about City is that, and you nailed it. I mean, you're exactly right. What they will have 
is an endless list of options. Before every game, it'll be impossible to know which 11 are going to be picked, and indeed, to a large degree, in, in what formation. Uh, because they won't be backward in the transfer market, especially now they've come through all the financial fair play shenanigans. Um, they will be bold in the transfer market, and what they have already is formidable. Um, and what's more, they can't afford to be complacent. I mean, Liverpool did finish above them and uh, by a long way and marched to the Premier League title. I think, if I can, if I can just go off at a slight tangent, I, th I think they are aware that not only are Liverpool, of course, very strong, but Manchester United, I, I'm not saying Manchester United will necessarily win the Premier League next year, but Manchester United, you can't help feeling of turn the corner. They've got a journey back still to make, but it's starting to happen for Manchester United. You know, you can feel a bit of a rumble. Um, Chelsea are an exciting team as well. Arsenal are a little further behind, but even Arsenal have, you know, under new management are starting to excite people again. Um, and so that top five, four, five, six in the Premier League, I think, um, you know, they, they will all be capable of beating each other. Uh, and so Manchester City, who want to be the ultimate super club, the club that is a, a serial winner year on year on year on year, um, won't leave anything to chance here. They will ensure that if they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight major first team players out injured, there'll be players just as good waiting on the sidelines to come in and fill their boots. Uh, and it's gonna, it, it continues to be a fascinating project to watch. Paris Saint-Germain, um, they kind of like Manchester City have had a lot of disappointment in this tournament and they've had the long layoff, but Neymar, Mbappe, the stars throughout their squad, the draw that they got coming into this return of the Champions League, uh, it would uh, as well feel like a major disappointment for them if if they aren't able to. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at the draw, Peter, and I say it's it's a disappointment if they don't reach the final. Yeah, no, of course, of course. And and you're right. I mean, the, the parallels of Manchester City are, are staring us all in the face. You know, this is a team with apparently endless financial resources, which intends to make itself a superpower. And and the fact that it hasn't yet cracked Europe is a is a major irritation to it. And the fact that it has, as you rightly indicate, probably the outsider of eight as its immediate opponent in the quarterfinal, and then the gentler looking semi-final, although Atletico Madrid is never gentle, nor in fact would Leipzig be. Of course, Paris Saint-Germain must be looking at the draw and thinking the final at least. And of course, if you reach the final, that's one football match and, and Paris Saint-Germain are capable of winning any football match on their day. So <laughs> it's funny when you have a conversation like this, isn't it? You, you ask who are the favourites and you say, well, it's either Bayern or Barcelona, but then it might be Manchester City. And actually, now we look at it, it's 3 So, uh, you know, from that side of the draw, though, I think, uh, I think you've got to expect PSG. Peter, I, I wanted to ask you uh, before you let you run a question about uh, the, the Premier League and um, in, in particular, seeing Leeds United back back in the yeah. frame, which I mean, it just it seems right. I think a lot of us look at them as a team that, you know, should always be in the Premier League. I mean, I that's what I, how I remember them, frankly. How do you think they're going to do in their return to the Prem next year? Well, or obviously, year, they I guess later this year would be a better. Way yeah, feels like tomorrow. Um, <laughs> it's it, uh, I, I, I honestly think under their extraordinary coach, 
they will not leave anything out there. You know, that is a team which is expected week on week to um, perform at 100%, and it does. And and actually, the fact that it laboured to get out of the championship, that is to say the second tier of, of English football, for a few years, or at least the last couple of years, has to do uh, in the minds of critics with the fact that in the punishing schedule which is required at that level, um, it was almost too much physically. You know, it's a it's a 24-team league, 46 matches, you know, and by the end, Leeds were, were losing their legs. But this time they've got through it. Um, and I think one of the factors for them will be supporters, actually, because, as you know, having an understanding of, uh, of the history of English football, Leeds is one of the most raucously supported teams. And it's sad for them that the season is probably going to have to start without supporters because part of their shtick is, is the, the entity they are when their public is behind them. But uh, regardless of that, in pure footballing terms, I have still to learn them properly. I'm, you know, I'm going to have to do my mm-hmm. preparation and make sure I understand them fully. So I'm talking in generalities. I have to hold my hands up to that. Um, but but I, from what I hear, um, they have the talent in the team and I know that they have the talent in management. And I also know they have, um, as mentioned, an extraordinary supporter base. And I would be very surprised if they struggled. You know, I'm not saying they're going to finish top six, seven, eight. But I, I, I'd be surprised if they weren't comfortably in, in the middle of the table by the end of it. Peter, it's uh, it's been great uh, breaking down the Champions League with you. Uh, we'll be uh, listening and watching uh, over the next couple of weeks. Thanks for this today. All the best. Really good to talk to you guys. Thank you very much indeed. The Champions League, uh, the final eight beginning Wednesday, Atalanta and PSG. They are single elimination uh, ties for this version of the Champions League leading uh, to a champion coming on August 26th. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair, when we return on a kick in the grass, David Klanikin, the Canadian Premier League commissioner, will join us to talk about the Island Games, which kick off Later this week in Charlottetown, PEI. That's next on A Kick in the Grass. Back in on A Kick in the Grass, Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair with you. And uh, coming up later this week, Jeff, um, professional football returns to Canada with uh, the Canadian Premier League starting the Island Games in Charlottetown on uh, August the 13th. They, uh, they've rejigged the schedule. They've figured it out. They've got a tournament going. And you know what? This is this is pretty cool. I mean, I, I was curious how this was going to work out for the CPL, but they've uh, they found a way to make it happen. And uh, for the young Canadians in this league, that's probably the most important thing. Yeah, a- absolutely. It's, you know, this is a league that I think ex- exceeded what a lot of people or exceeded a lot of people's expectations in the first year. Mm-hmm. I went to a couple of matches in Hamilton. I mean, I enjoyed the quality. Uh, the, the The atmosphere was was fun. Uh, you know, it, it's at least in this marketplace, and I know a couple of other marketplaces in the country, it, it really has a foothold. And I think the important thing, in, in a lot of ways, the CPL is locked out because they're small enough that they could pull off uh, you know, playing and using sort of a bubble format in, in, in Prince Edward Island. The majority of their players are Canadian. 
So there was less of an issue with traveling between borders. But having, you know, that aside, they were smart, right? They bided their time. They waited to see how other things worked or didn't work. They've been able to borrow best practices from a variety of organizations. And you know what? They're, they're in a place that wants them. And never underestimate the importance of going to a place that has asked you to go there, which is what Charlottetown and PEI did. I, I, I just think it's a genius move. And I'll tell you, for this league, you know, it's got a TV partner. It may not have the CFL. Uh, I, was, I wouldn't say to go head to head with, but it may not have the CFL on, on the landscape. And MLS teams may not be able to play in, in Canada because of border restrictions. So this is a great opportunity for the CPL. And as I said, just kudos to them for, for playing this the way they played it. And, you know, as someone who's been lucky enough to go to, to be in PEI, I, I just think this is, this is a home run already. The only thing that could prevent this from being a home run, Danny, is if there's a COVID-19 outbreak. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know there was some criticism there uh, for being so quiet and there wasn't a lot of news about what was going to happen for a while there. But, you know, when you're trying to get your ducks in the row, it's not really much point into no. <laughs> just, you know, telling you every step of the way where, where the league is at. So now we know where things are going. And you're right. I mean, what they've done in, in certain markets, um, you know, having been out to uh, the stadium in Langford, uh, just outside of Victoria, to watch Pacific FC and call some of those games. Um, it's it's a great little place to watch a football mm-hmm. match, and um, you know even the one in Calgary uh, at, at Spruce Meadows, uh, great spot and really intimate and fun and great to bring the family. And you see already the benefits that it's had for young players, uh, like Emilio Estevez heading to Ado Den Haag in, in, in Holland. Uh, you've had other players. Uh, Tristan Borges was such an incredible um, story in the first year. And players that are already adding into the national pool and, and yep. are being looked at by John Herdman. I didn't think that that was going to happen that quickly. But that's why this league is so important. For way too long, we've allowed uh, really talented players to just – you know, right off into the sunset at 18, 19 years old because they just had nowhere to play, Jeff. Yeah, it really does make you wonder, doesn't it, what we've missed. And I know when John Herdman was coaching the women's program, he talked about one of the – there's nothing he could do about it, but he said one of his sort of great fears was that because the country is so wide and because it's so spread out that he may have – he may have missed the best female soccer player in the country. It could be somebody who was 15 years old, 14 years old, and just ran out of opportunities. And I think that's always been kind of the fear with, with, with football in this country is how do you ensure that the, the people who make these decisions get to see the players, be they, they, be they women's players or men's players, you know, at the right time? and make the right decision on them. And we're seeing more and more now that, that the correct decisions are being made and it's just getting everybody together in one area. And that's why I think the CPL is so important to this sport because it is along with basketball. It is along with basketball, the gross sport in this country, both for men and women. And it's, it's absolutely vital that, that opportunities are given 
to to guys and we're not uh, to, to guys and to women and we're not saying everybody's going to turn into the next christine sinclair or the next alfonso davies but maybe that person may turn in to the next depth player for the canadian mm -hmm. men's program or the canadians women program and that's just as important uh well now joining us is uh, the canadian premier league gets going on the 13th of August with the Island Games in Charlottetown. It is the CPL Commissioner, David Klanikin. Thanks for this, David. How are you? Very good. Thank you. How are you guys? Fantastic. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's a big week for the CPL. The Island Games firing up on August 13th. But um, tell us, I mean, what's, what's these last couple of months been like? Uh, the pandemic changed everything for everybody and certainly for sports leagues, but a unique situation with your league. How, how has this been over the last few months uh, for, for you and the league and, and trying to navigate this scenario? Well, a bit of an ups and down, right? You know, when we, when we postponed our training camps in, uh, in March, when we made the decision to do that, that, that felt like a real, you know, kick in the backside to start with. And then, and then as we get closer to launching the season, uh, second week in April, we were really, we were really, uh, you know, excited that we'd get it going. But really when we, when we postponed the, uh, the, the training camps, we knew we probably would be delayed at, at, at best. So I, you know, and, and as we moved into through April and postponed the, the start of the season, then we get into May and we started really thinking, you know what, we're not going to see, we're going to see live sport for a while here. And, and there was a, a real concern that you'd even ever see fans in the stands this year and still is a concern there. But then what we started to do is we started to take, uh, you know, a page out of other, other leagues and other sports books where they started to talk about, well, maybe there's a way to do this in a, in a sequestered type atmosphere. And we started, we started looking at it and said, you know, there's, there's some good things you could do here. You know, you got to tweak this and tweak that. But, uh, and we knew that we lived in a country where we were, I think we were handling it relatively well, very well compared to some other countries, but we were doing a good job with it. And so you could start to see maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And so then we started working on it. And then the biggest part became about the, the, the health and safety protocols. And, you know, we, we, we weren't, we're not proud. We looked at every, everybody that was doing anything around this and looked at all their health and safety protocols, all the way from FIFA to Canada soccer to other sports and leagues and, and, and kind of use that as those as a helping hand, if you want to call it to how do we, how do we, how do we structure this thing? And then as it moved further along, uh, obviously, we started to see some great things with some of the provinces wanting us to be there. And you could see that Canada as a whole is very safe, I think is still very, very safe. But there's parts of Canada that might be some of the safest places in the world. And PEI is obviously one of them. And so we were very excited when all of a sudden they extended the invitation when Mayor Brown from Charlottetown uh, wrote a letter, an open letter to the public and to us inviting us. And that, that was kind of, and things really started to move fast. So we're very pleased to where we are today. Until you got that letter, I mean, was that the thing that 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 caused you to zero in on PEI, or had you had you thought about it, and had there been feelers, maybe backroom feelers? Yeah, we were we were we were talking to uh, the uh, three different uh, governments, three different provincial governments that so we were talking to them, and, uh, and at the end of the day, you still needed to know though that if if it, when it came right down to it, most of the provincial governments are, are, are putting it on the municipality, right? Like not, not yes. putting it on, but they leave it to the municipality. They, they kind of hold the Trump card. Right. And uh, so we knew it, at one point or another, we were going to need to be invited. I mean, it's typical Canadian, right? We don't, we don't knock, we don't knock, 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 knock on doors and bust away, bust the way in. We actually knock and wait. Right. So, so there was a little bit of that going on. And, and, uh, 
and and of course it makes a ton of sense because you need the you need the citizens to be on side with you too, right? Knowing that you're doing the right thing. And that that coupled with the uh, the provincial health officers that we were dealing with, and, and certainly Dr. Uh, Heather Morrison in in uh, in PEI is fantastic lady, and she's worked really well. Her and her staff have worked extremely well with us. They've been very good. They've been tough. They 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 don't they don't pull any punches. They they they're they're tough. They expect uh, if you say it, you do it, and that's all there is to it. Which is exactly the way that you want to be treated in a format like this, because then you know what it's black and white, right? You know the rules. Mm-hmm. And so that that uh, between the two of those things together, that's when it really started, and it all started to click. You know, the puzzle pieces all started to fall into place, and and uh, we were able to get there. I feel, uh, especially those that I've talked to and, and the way that I felt, um, you know, the, the league and the first year uh, went off pretty well. And uh, you, you bring in another team. Atletico Ottawa is, is set to debut this year. This happens. But um, just where is, is the state of the league right now and, and how things are progressing? And, um, you know, where was compared to how you were planning in the, uh, in the early stages? Well, it certainly it certainly threw us a curveball, that's for sure. Yeah. But um, but you know, but it did it for everybody. So you know, okay, you know, you know, you can't boohoo like this happened to everybody. It's we're we're all dealing with it, in every type of business. So there's always someone that's worse off than you are. But when you when you're in live sport, when you uh, much the same as you know music, whatever you you when you have people that are paying to sit in the seats and watch, and you take and you turn that revenue stream off, that's it. You're done. You know, uh, Bob Young said to me one day, David, you know, uh, if I was making widgets, I'd probably still sell from widgets, but maybe not as many as I was planning to. Mm. Uh, but when you're doing live sports and they turn off the revenue, like it's done, like there's no revenue. So that 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 changed the thing things uh, a lot. Um, but now you see the creativity and the innovativeness that's happening. Uh, but, but the reality is, you know, uh, you know, we, we had a very good first year. Uh, I don't like to. I don't like to go too much further than that. I think we did very well. People liked the product. They liked what, what they saw. They liked the innovativeness. They loved the creativity. The, the fact that we were that we had a lot of young Canadians playing in the league. It, 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 we hit all the right markers. So we were really looking forward to season two because we had brought in Atletico Ottawa. Uh, obviously, from you know the parent club is Atletico Madrid, 117 year heritage. You know. Um, the DNA is strong, strong, right? <clears throat> so we were feeling real good about that. We had changed the the format because we were going to a single table format because our fans and supporters told us that. So again, we 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 said, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll listen, and and it made sense. It also made our schedule work really well. You know, we had a little bit more rest in there. We fit everybody, everything fit nice and tightly, and we were not going to be playing, you know, midweek games in in late September, which is not good, right? And so we worked through all that and then it, then it changed. So having said that, we knew, we know, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay in front of people guys. Like at the end of the day, they, they want it. And so, so that was the motivating factor was really the fans and supporters. And of course, of course our players, I mean, horses want to run. Right. So, uh, and our, our players, and I'll say this, they've been absolute professionals in this whole thing, considering the average age in the league is about between 23 and 24 years old. They've been extreme professionals and, course you know you get a few rascals that like to play around on social media and stuff like that but that's okay just a bit of a running joke they have with the commissioner so to speak <laughs> well i was going to say it you know you made an important point i thought that it is you do have to get in front of your fans 
don't you? I mean, you can't lose that momentum you've built up in the first year. And I think, I think that's why for, for the CPL, that presence is, is so vital because it does, there's a link. If you're going to be successfully, the, the one thing you owe fans, isn't it? Is that, you know, we'll try to honor our schedule. We will play a game. If there's a game scheduled tonight, we'll do whatever we can to play it. And I think it establishes or it just reinforces a link with your fans that you started in the first year that a, we know what we're doing and B we are here for you. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That, that is at the end of the day, the, the key word there was vital because you cannot go dark. Uh, there's too much going on. People were invested. They don't want to feel like they've been, you know, they've been abandoned, so to speak. I know it's not, that sounds more dire than I meant it, but the point is people do, they, 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 they invest in you, uh, not just financially, but emotionally. And so they want to see that. So I think it's I think it's really important that they see something. Now, because it's a different format and we're not necessarily playing in, in our home markets, at this point, you know, you always still hold out that, you know, that mm-hmm. optimism. But but uh, if we could um, – but but it, now, now the challenge is to make sure these island games are creative and we throw a few kind of new wrinkles in there that, that and make sure that – uh, fan and, and 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 fan engagement and supporter engagement is top notch because we've done a few th- different things. Perfect example, and I know it's not new to you guys, but this idea of five substitutions, the five substitution rule that FIFA's allowed different leagues to try this year, I think it's going to be fantastic. I, I actually think if I was a coach of a, of a football club today and I had five substitutes to use, you just put me in the game. Because now the changes I make, are, it's not it's, it's it's much more complex. I'm I actually there's there's tactics involved in the changes I make. With three subs, it's not as not as easy, right? But five changes the whole thing. So the dynamic is good. So so things like that, but not just that, not just that the broadcast and how we're going to handle the broadcast. There's some really interesting twists that we're going to put put to that. And so it's all about just trying new things. I I think you get a bit of a hall pass this year to try new. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it, it's good because you get more and more young Canadians into matches and, and get them those minutes, and that's you know essentially what this what this league has has been built on. Um, there, there's also been you know some some international players and, and signings that teams have wanted to make, and it's not been the easiest thing to do, um, give, given the circumstances. Um, where is the league on that, and and just how it's it's been bringing um, bringing players from from elsewhere into the Canadian Premier League? So we, we, we got most of the players got in uh, well in advance. And so that's good. They, 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 they were able to meet the protocols and everything else. And so a lot of this is kind of the work we've done with the 21st club out of London, England, right? Which is, uh, it's a, it's a way of kind of scouting on mass as a league and then introducing players to the clubs, right? For the, so, so that they can make the decision, but they, they get to look at uh, these, these young players based on what their needs are. So it's a very interesting, and it's it's quite frankly, it's uh, it's it's a really it's a forward thinking approach. We have five players that we're not able to get in because because their countries typically, well, for the most part, close the borders. They couldn't get out of their own country to get to Canada, right? So what we're doing now is we're actually our clubs uh, are working with those guys to to literally put them on loan to other clubs in Europe who are where it's a little more open at this point in time. And I know of one specifically that where that's happened already and it's in, in process and they're, they're going through immigration in a country over there to move him, that player. And then the player's coming back to Canada for 2021. So best case scenario, right? And because a lot of these, 
uh, young internationals that are looking to make a name for themselves and build a career. They love the idea of coming to play in Canada. And it's safe, you know, it's trust, you know, they, it's, they can trust it. They just, they're not, they're not worried that, you know, they, they can see what, you know, what, what we are as people, right? So we're, we're sought after that way as a country. Uh, before we let you go, David, uh, can we can we get some insight on how things are going to look as uh, as it starts up on Thursday, or or is it all a big surprise? Well, it's a big surprise. If I if I start telling you everything, and Roy and Nicky Benedetti and these guys, they're gonna they're gonna like they're gonna hang me really because. Uh, but it, but there's some really interesting things we're gonna do. Obviously, the, uh, around the stadium and the setup and and the way it's done. Uh, you know, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna try and push the the the, the edge of the envelope, and I and I think we can we don't have to start on day one doing everything. We can actually introduce things as we go and see how it goes. But uh, I think it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting, and and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh it's about time. The other thing I didn't say was the clubs of the. It's interesting in their second year, there's been some very interesting moves with the clubs. And so I see, I've been watching as the rosters are built and there's going to be some great competition there. Like I really, you know, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's some, there's some teams that are going to come, come forward here that, uh, that I think are going to do very well. I think all the teams will do well. It's interesting to see. That's why I talk about the tactics. I'm putting that pressure on the coaches. You notice I've done that, right? <laughs> I stand on the sidelines with their arms folded. Geez, like, come on. <laughs> Get something going here, boys. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, David uh, Klanikin, uh, CPL Commissioner, Canadian Premier League. Island game starting on Thursday, August the 13th. Uh, thanks for this, David. Really appreciate it. All the best. No problem. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Uh, excited for the Island Games on Thursday to start up from Charlottetown. Dan Richo and Jeff Blair coming back with your questions. Injury time on A Kick in the Grass. Back in on A Kick in the Grass, and it's the final segment. It is injury time where we take questions from you, the listener. You can always send in your questions at SN Jeff Blair and at Dan Richo 650. Uh, send us a DM and uh, you'll have your question answered here in injury time. Uh, this one comes from Chris Jeff to kick us off here today. What do you think will happen with MLS's Canadian teams in the return to play? Wow. Uh, <laughs> How much time we got? Start. Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I, I, I hate to say I don't have any idea, Danny, but I don't have any idea. I, I, I don't get a sense that, um, you know, that the Canadian government is, is in a rush to lift border restrictions. You know, look, it, it, based on what you've seen from Major League Baseball, which is the one league that has guys traveling around out of a quarantine, I'll throw it back at you. Would you would you allow MLS teams up here based on what on, on what we've seen out of baseball? I wouldn't. No. no, I wouldn't. I hate I, to say it, but I wouldn't. I, I guess the one thing is um, that could be done. Maybe you, you have players staying just uh, on the other side of the border. They come up uh, on the day of the match and play uh, and play the game. They, they don't go anywhere but the bus uh, and, and they play the match and, and they, they head back afterwards. Uh, but that, that would seem like a competitive advantage for the Canadian teams uh, in those home matches. And also, how do you navigate them traveling to and from 
uh, the United States as well for their matches. So it, it, it doesn't seem like there's any other option here other than for them to find a place that they can play in the United States. Um, early reports that I've heard uh, are the Whitecaps might be looking at somewhere in Portland uh, mm -hmm. to have to have their matches. I think um, I would imagine Montreal and, and TFC are looking somewhere in the northeast of the United States. So uh, this is very much still up in the air, but I, I imagine that there will be some answers in the next seven to ten days or at least some insight because yeah. Dallas and Nashville are, are playing the games that they missed from the MLS's back tournament over the next week. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing would be that the teams stay in their time zone because, mm -hmm. you know, clearly the travel is all is already an issue. Uh, you know, it, I, I guess in a way, what helps this year is we're not close, I don't think, to having fans back in the stands necessarily. So, you know, for example, it, it gives it gives the Canadian teams a certain amount of freedom as to where they, they, they want to look. You know, I don't think there will be an imperative to say be as close to the border as possible so your fans can come over to watch to watch yeah. matches. So that does give you a little bit of, of, of freedom. But uh, unless something changes in the next week, I just, I can't, I can't see the Canadian MLS teams playing matches up here. I just can't. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, it's to me it would seem almost unworkable uh this one comes from jason stan in mls uh, mario goza is uh, rumored to fc cincinnati yeah the ghost um, of mario goza <laughs> uh but he he wants to know is there a player in europe right now that you think would dominate mls uh, i want to start this one off uh, it's yep. one of my my favorite players i'm, I'm going back to atalanta and we're going to watch him in the Champions League this week. But uh, Alejandro Gomez uh, with Atalanta is a player that I, I've long thought could absolutely dominate in MLS and have a similar impact to uh, that of Javinko when he made the jump. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I'm thinking of, of you know, to, to define impact. Um, you know, are we talking about controlling the game? Are we talking about scoring goals? The, the, the player that I have been increasingly intrigued with in the past couple of years coming to MLS and I don't think it will happen now because I think he's 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 playing his way uh, he, he's cementing his place in in the UK I would love to see Olivier Giroud mm -hmm. get a shot at MLS because I think his style of game the type of player he is I, I just think he could be such a force around the box you know, maybe, uh, and, and he's not as exciting as Latin Ibrahimovic, but I, I think he would bring that, that that little bit of finishing that we don't always get in MLS. He's the first name that 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 came to mind that really jumped out to me. Uh, I uh, I know the Whitecaps are courting him for a time, but he was not uh, ready to leave London, uh, so to speak. And if he does like, want, do you, how do you think he'd do? How do you think he'd do that? I, I I think he's he's great as a holdup man. Um, I like his direct style of play. I think that would would work for a lot of MLS teams um, if he's in the right situation. Uh, but I I do think he'd he'd bang in a few goals, no doubt. Um, Olivier Giroud, I think. Uh, he's been the, the butt end of a lot of jokes, but I've always liked his game um, just mm -hmm. from, a, from a footballing standpoint. Just a true kind of traditional number nine that I think could, could really have success in a direct league like MLS. Uh, final question, Balraj, who would have won the Euro this year? And do you think that team would still be the favorite looking ahead to next summer? Who would have won the Euro? Uh, 
Belgium is number one in the FIFA rankings. Nah, yeah, <laughs> this I, this I, would be their year, right, with De Bruyne and, and Hazard right, right in the thick of their primes? Oh, well, Hazard, Hazard, yeah. Hazard's had such a bad year. That's um, true. I'll, I'll tell you who – I mean, I hate to kind of go back to the well, but I think France. Yeah. I, I think top to bottom, they are still the best footballing side in Europe. I think they're the best coached side in Europe. Germany, I think, is they're 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 still in that transition phase. Um, I'd feel better with them if they had Thomas Muller if he was back in the national team. I mean, England's always going to be England, but I I still think France. You know, I look at a potential French eleven. I still think that's far and away the best eleven in Europe. I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm 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 not certain there's another team that comes close to that in terms of pure talent. Yeah, France would be the favorite for me. I think Netherlands would have been a bit of a dark horse. Um, they, they finally seem to be coming out of it. And, of course, having Virgil van Dijk, um, you know, carry the back line mm -hmm. could have been a big thing for them uh, looking ahead to the Euro. Man, it would have been a fun summer. It was a fun summer anyways. We got lots of soccer either way. And I, I tend to like club football more than international anyways. Um, uh, Jeff, always a pleasure. And uh, we'll be back next week on a kick in the grass. Again, if you like the show, if you like what we're doing, subscribe, leave a review. We do appreciate it and have uh, many more episodes coming in the future. Don't forget to leave us a question so we can answer yours in injury time as well. For Jeff Blair and producer Cam Bear, I'm Dan Richo. This has been A Kick in the Grass.